You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with the highly decorated 2016 Paralympic silver medalist, Haley Dans. What's up, Haley? Oh, what's up? That was quite the intro. Thank you. You are welcome. (laughs) All right. So you've done so much in your career. And before we get to all of those accolades, how did you get started as a a paratriathlete? Well, that is, uh, that's, there's a little bit of a story behind that. Um, so I definitely did not find the sport of triathlon. It found me. Um, I was, I, I, I discovered the sport when I was in college. Um, I was working at an adaptive sports organization in Chicago, uh, where I was going to school. And my boss there was a triathlete. And, uh, you know, at that point, I had no real background in swimming, biking, or running. I was active in sports as a kid. Um, but, you know, after losing my leg to cancer when I was 12, kind of took uh, a break from sports, thinking that there was not really anything out there that I could do. Um, and then, yeah, when I was introduced to the adaptive sports world and my boss, Gary, who really uh, kind of introduced me to the sport of triathlon, uh, it kind of just opened up my world. And, uh, you know, I kind of picked up all three all at the same time. Um, and again, had like no, no real background. It was all f- completely foreign to me, but ended up really falling in love with, uh, with the sport. Um, so that was, gosh, almost 10 years ago. Um, which is a little bit crazy. Um, But yeah, you know, I did a couple of races and just loved that feeling of pushing myself and accomplishing something, something great. And really all it took was a couple of races before I decided that it was something I wanted to pursue long-term. Not really having any experience with biking, running, swimming. How in the world did you take to it so well and like (laughs) Olympian, Paralympian? Well, you know, I was super fortunate in that I had a lot of really great mentors, uh, you know, as I was getting started in the sport, um, you know, other athletes who were competing at the international level. And so it was kind of just always something that I was surrounded by. Um, You know, I I also got started in the sport kind of right when it was announced that triathlon was going to be making its Paralympic debut in Rio in 2016. So there was all this excitement around uh you know the Paralympics and triathlon as I was getting into it so again it was something that I was just always around um and so I kind of think that you know the the dreams and the goals of those that I was surrounded by kind of just rubbed off on me um and you know I did have these great mentors who were already competing to kind of show me you know what it was going to take to compete at that level um so yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I would have escalated as quickly as I did if it weren't for the environment that I were, that I was surrounded in. That is amazing <laughs> that you, you took to the sport, became like one of the top athletes in your sport. 
in such a short amount of time. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine it took a lot of discipline, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, You know, especially I think back to, you know, when I was just getting started um, and the discipline that it took just to learn how to run again. Um, Because, again, you know, I'd lost my leg as a kid. Um, I hadn't run in eight years. And so um, just getting back into that was was such a struggle. (laughs) And I remember at the very beginning, um, you know, just being so frustrated by it and thinking like, you know what, this probably isn't for me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, again, I I think just having people, other amputees that I knew that um, that were running, it kind of showed me like, okay, no, this is possible. Like people can do it. Um, And I just need to, you know, put in a little bit of work every day. Um, so that was kind of what I did, you know, I would show up every day. Sometimes it was only for 10 minutes a day. Um, but I would put my running leg on, I would put in some work and it was really that discipline and that consistency, um, that over time, you know, led to me kind of getting the hang of it and then eventually falling in love with it. Um, you mentioned you were in sports as a kid. Like, did you dream of becoming a pro athlete? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was big into basketball and volleyball when I was a kid. Um, So, you know, fifth, sixth grade, that was kind of where I saw myself going. Um, Don't know how well that would have panned out for me because I'm 5'3". But, you know, at the time when I was in fifth grade and 5'3", that was kind of my jam. Um, But, yeah, I mean, when cancer happened and my life kind of took a detour I think the opposite was true. You know, I just kind of assumed that sports was going to be something that I was not going to be able to do anymore, which was kind of heartbreaking because it was such an important part of my identity for so long. Um, But, and, you know, I did, after losing my leg, I kind of dabbled in, in a few different sports um, and, you know, kind of went back to the, the games that I played before and just found that, you know, couldn't, I couldn't quite compete at the level that I, I was at before. And so I found that frustrating. Um, but I think that's what I liked about triathlon because it was something that I didn't do before I lost my leg. So um, I couldn't, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. So basically you found a new love for something that wasn't like, it didn't feel like a loss in regards to your sport that you had experienced playing. So now this was just new territory that you had to, to chart and then explore. So it was like, okay, let me jump into this wholeheartedly in basketball, volleyball, that's gone. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. As a, a professional athlete, you travel a lot. What is that like? Oh man, it's amazing. <laughs> I am so lucky. Uh, you know, I've gotten to go to so many cool places. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting because when I started compete, competing internationally in 2012, um, you know, I really just kind of treated everything as like a business trip, you know? Um, and so I would go to these awesome places, uh, you know, New Zealand and London and, uh, Japan and, you know, go there and I just, I knew that I was there for, um, you know, for a race. And so I, 
you know, was like really careful about everything that I was doing beforehand. I would race and I would leave the next day. So I never really got to experience like where I was and experience the culture and, and the unique, whatever unique things there were about the place that I was. Um, but a couple of years ago, I started to realize like, I am so fortunate that I get to do this. Um, and so I've made a rule for myself that every time I travel somewhere, I have to take at least a day afterwards to really explore the place and, uh, you know, kind of get a feel for where I am because, um, I know that I'm not gonna be able to do this forever and I won't really want to just take advantage of, of everything, all of these opportunities that I have. I'm glad you do that because I've heard from various athletes, um, they talk about, I go to all these different places, but not having the opportunity to really enjoy it and experience the culture and just yeah. experience traveling because it yeah. is, like you said, like a business trip. So you go there, take care of business, and then you leave. And it's like, well, dang it. All <laughs> these opportunities. Wait a minute. I need to take a moment. <laughs> totally. Well, and I think that was also just part of my development as an athlete. It's like figuring out what works for me. Um, you know, at the beginning, I kind of thought that I had to be super serious all the time and really focused on, on the race and on, you know, everything I needed to be doing going into that. And just as I have grown, I've realized that I actually do better when I'm able to throw in some fun. Um, you know, and that's not to say that I'm going crazy, but you know, yeah, I'm going to go to the beach and I'm going to play in the waves and I'm going to go to the Australian zoo and hang out with the kangaroos like and you know if that means I'm on my feet a little bit more than I would have been like I'm okay with that because it it feeds my soul and that's how I perform the best right and so when you're traveling and obviously like being able to keep up with proper nutrition and proper sleep habits and all those different things how do you manage all of that yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, it takes practice. And I feel like it's something that I just started to get good at within the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> I'm already, you know, of course, I haven't traveled in, in quite a while now. Um, and so, you know, if, if travel ends up opening up next year, and we're back on the road, it's definitely going to take some, some getting used to. Um, because, you know, I was at the point where, like, I was just in the habit of, of doing things. But, you know, I think for me, the key is being super flexible um, because, you know, the food is different everywhere in the world. And, you know, sleep schedules are going to change constantly, especially when you're going from, you know, Japan to the States to Europe within a three-week period. Um, so, you know, I've kind of learned, like, you know, sleep – sleep when I can, <laughs> sleep when I feel like it, and uh, be really just kind of flexible in, um, in the foods that I eat, um, and really not try to be married to like a specific pre-race routine, because, um, you know, stuff is going to change. But, you know, I think it also helps that we, every time we travel, we have a huge support crew that comes with us, um, you know, and I think, Two of the critical people that help out in this department are our physiologist and our dietitian. Um, so, you know, when we're out there on the road and, you know, we might have questions or there's kind of a, a, a detour kind of thrown into the routine, 
those guys are there to to kind of set us back on track and and offer guidance so that's that's super helpful for sure do you all also travel with like an athletic trainer or physical therapist Mm -hmm. we've always have physical therapist um bike mechanic sports psychologist who am i missing that's team doctor <laughs> dietitian and the physio yeah yeah that's our crew <laughs> and a couple coaches and and our manager so yeah we we roll deep um but it's awesome like i that's one of the things i miss the most about racing actually is just you know being around our support crew because they're all such great people who care so much um about helping us out and you know really just using their area of expertise to bring out the best in all of us so, and then your teammates because you all have a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know we do, we do. I think that's a just a big part of our team culture is having fun. Like I don't know if I've ever came across a team that laughs as much as we do, and it's cool because you know triathlon is an individual sport, um, and so you know there is no real incentive for us to have as deep of a bond as we do because it's not like we're all you know on paper working towards the same goal um but yeah I don't know like I've I've kind of been in the program for as long as it's been around and so I was kind of one of those pioneers that was part of setting the culture of the team and you know I think we all just kind of realized that like you know if we can have a good time um and and keep things kind of just light and fun we're all going to perform better so um yeah I don't know even though it's an individual sport I feel like there's a really deep sense of of cohesion um in team chemistry and I think that's kind of our secret sauce I like the secret sauce (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so you spent time as a resident athlete at the um the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Training Center Center tell us how that was what were your what was your experience yeah support you got there on a day-to-day basis sure so yeah I moved from Chicago to Colorado Springs in the fall of 2017 um because triathlon was starting its its first ever resident program at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center so before that we were all kind of spread throughout the country just doing our own thing training wise um and then in 17 they they brought together you know some of the the top athletes to Colorado Springs to just be based there and and train together in a squad environment so um i'm actually still a member of the program i have moved off campus into um into a place in town but still train out of Colorado Springs at the training center with my with my squad mates um so that's really been a game changer for me. Um, you know, I think just having all of the members of our support team in one place. Uh, you know, before that, I was working remotely with my coach. I was working remotely with a uh, dietitian, sports psych, all that. Um, and so to be here and, and have everyone, you know, on the ground in the same spot is like really, really critical. Um, you know, I'm probably meeting with someone on my performance team every single day. Um, and when I'm not meeting with them, they're all talking to each other. Just, okay, did you notice that Haley was doing this? Like, how can we, how can we help her in 
or how can we each use all of our areas of expertise to, to help her out? Um, so I feel incredibly supported living here in this environment. Um, you know, I think one of the big perks is uh, sports medicine. Um, you know, that was something that before I came here and was part of the program, um, you know, it was a huge out-of-pocket cost for me. Um, and now, you know, just being able to access physical therapists and athletics trainers um, pretty much on the daily, uh, it's really just allowed me to, like, stay on top of little injuries because I'm able to get in as soon as um, – as soon as something's feeling kind of funny. Um, and then of course, just the team environment um, is, is huge. You know, I'm able to train with a couple of my, a couple of the women that I actually compete against. Um, so we're not only competitors, but we're, we're training mates. Um, but that's been so cool for me just because, um, you know, there's, there's nothing quite like, or it's, it's hard to push yourself uh, to the level that we do without each other. Um, and I think that, you know, we've kind of bought into this idea that, you know, we can strive to be the best athletes that we can be while also building each other up and supporting each other. Um, and that, in fact, when we support each other, that makes us better. Um, so, yeah, it's a really cool uh, kind of dynamic that we have going on, but I feel super lucky to be a part of it. Yeah, and you you all have swept the podium. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> so yeah. I think that uh, you have some really good competitive um, people to train with, but also, like, as a unit, you're able to go out and dominate. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, yeah, you know, it's it's so much more fun standing on the podium when you're standing next to your friends, you know? Um, and I really think that, of course, I want to succeed, um, but I also want my friends to succeed, um, and I, like, want to be able to, to share it with them. Um, I think it makes the whole experience that much more fulfilling. Yeah, and so now COVID hit, shut the training mm -hmm. facility down. What was that? Yeah, like? yeah um, so that was, that was wild. Um, so I was still living on site when, when COVID hit. Um, and they shut down all of the training facilities, but they kept the dorms open so that, um, you know, those of us who kind of didn't have anywhere else to go still had a place to live. Um, so that, that really meant a lot. Um, and, you know, it was interesting because we kind of went from, you know, a couple hundred people living on site to 50 to 30, eventually down to 15, um, 15 strong and that kind of hung through March through June um so it was it was kind of a surreal time <laughs> but um you know I'm actually very grateful that I was living there when I did because um you know I think it was one of the safest places that I could possibly have been um you know again everything at the training center was shut down except for the dorms and the cafeteria so we were still able to get food to go um to just take it back to our rooms but I think that having just those brief interactions with the dining hall staff during those really lonely months um that kind of kept me going I feel like if I didn't have that I would have been um you know just really really 
socially isolated like everyone else, but, you know, I got to come into contact with, um, with the staff. They became even closer than, um, than they were before. And I felt like we really just had this little family environment going on. Um, so yeah, you know, all things considered, like I look back on that period of time and like, it wasn't all that bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Well, you know what? Things could have been worse. So totally. totally. Well, and also like, I was very lucky in that I can still do two thirds of my sport. You know, the pool shut down and I wasn't able to swim, but I could still bike and run um, either, you know, on a stationary trainer in my room or outside. So, you know, when I looked at other athletes that, you know, completely lost the ability to train, to train, um, you know, I was, I realized I was, I was still doing okay. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there were so many athletes who depended on the facility Mm -hmm. to train. And so not having that, not even being able to go to an outside gym or whatever the case was. Totally. We talked a little bit about your challenges getting into the sport. What are some challenges that you deal with now? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges as a para athlete is just equipment. Um, you know, I'm in the process right now of kind of switching my entire running setup. Um, you know, up until about a year ago, I ran without a knee joint. And so I would swing my leg out to the side. Um, and then about a year ago, oh God, I can't believe it's been that long. (laughs) Um, I started using an artificial knee joint, um, so it swings through in like a more natural gait. Um, so just getting used to that has been very challenging, um, cause you're basically just relearning how to run, but, um, you know, with prosthetics, getting the fit dialed perfectly is, it takes a lot of work. Um, and you know, there's no real easy way to do it other than, you know, making a little tweak, running on it for five miles and then deciding if it was the right thing to do or not. Um, And then also just as, you know, weight and body composition fluctuate through the season, that's going to change the fit of, of the leg. And so, um, you know, as I get fitter, I need to go to the prosthetist all the more frequently to, um, to get that fit just right. So um, that's certainly a challenge um, that I think is unique in para. Um, Then of course, you know, there's just the, the challenges that I think everyone faces and and that's the ebbs and flows of, of motivation. Um, and, you know, just kind of, I, I think that I'm kind of at a point right now where, um, you know, the training load is like just starting to pick up. Um, and there's a Delta between, you know, where I am right now and where I've been in the past, where I know that I can be. Um, and so just kind of like, you know, just dealing with that, um, and, you know, trying not to get too frustrated by, by, um, you know, where I am right now, um, knowing that I haven't actually, like, it's not the time for me to be, like, in peak condition, um, but as an athlete, you kind of just want to be there all the time, you know? (laughs) Right. How do you maintain, um, mental health? Um, you know, I think that having balance is really important for me. Um, 
you know, again, I like to, I like to have fun. Um, I like, I don't want my life to be completely just sport. Um, and so, you know, just making sure that I, you know, kind of have friends outside of the sport, um, where we're able to just like not talk about triathlon and talk about other things is really important. Um, something that I discovered during quarantine and has really stuck with me is, uh, hiking. Um, that's kind of like my new happy place now. And I find that if I'm feeling kind of burnt out on, on triathlon training, you know, I might decide like, all right, I'm going to switch this run out today and I'm just going to go on a hike. Um, you know, not bring the watch, just get out in nature. And, um, I've found that that kind of, that, that brings me a lot of, a lot of joy and is really good kind of hitting the reset button. That's good because you have to figure out what in those moments that you spoke of, you have to figure out what is it that will bring you back. And as you said, reset. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, hiking's good. Nature is good. Doing totally. something outside of the sport, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Which is hard when you're me because it's like, yeah, people are like, what do you like to do for fun? And I'm like, I like to ride my bike. And they're like, that doesn't count. That is your sport. Like, yeah, no, but I genuinely enjoy riding my bike. And for most people, that's like, you know, that's a thing, right? Um, So, yeah, finding, finding stuff outside of the sport can be, can be challenging, but I'm working on it. (laughs) Now, do um do a lot of people recognize you when you go out and about? <laughs> nah, <laughs> which is actually great. I don't know if I am down for the for the life where people <laughs> would recognize me. Um, well, that's under the radar. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know, you know what what type of money is into the sport and, um, you know, how much money you get or whatever, but how do you manage your money? Um, yeah. So, um, that's an interesting part because, uh, you know, life as an athlete, especially with what I do, um, you know, it's kind of things ebb and flow for sure. Um, and so, you know, I, my primary income comes from speaking, um, at company events. And so I try to time that with my season so that, you know, when I'm in the off season and not traveling as much, training as much, um, try and get all those gigs in um, so that when the summer hits, I can really just focus on, um, focus on training. So uh, yeah, it makes it for an interesting like money managing cycle though, because, you know, it it kind of works out to be like a feast or famine type situation. but, you know, I'm also able to rely on a quarterly stipend from USA Triathlon, from being on the national team, um, which kind of helps offset a lot of my um, training expenses. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of just takes a lot of foresight and, um, you know, foresight because the income is inconsistent. Um, but I leave a pretty simple life. <laughs> Um, and I really don't spend a lot of money. And so it hasn't been too challenging. Good. That's good. Now, yeah. how do you prep for your competitions? Um, like mentally from a training perspective? Yeah. I mean, do you have some type of like, you know, race day ritual or anything like that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I do like to come up with a pre-performance plan uh, going into a race, but I like to keep it pretty flexible um, just because every race is different. Um, some races we have the opportunity for a swim warm up. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes you can get a bike warm up. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes we're racing at seven in the morning. Sometimes it's 4 p.m. And so, um, yeah, I've learned over the years that it's best to not have like a, a ritual um, because things can change so much. Uh, so instead, what I like to do is just have a general idea of, of what works for me. And then, you know, a couple of days before the race, once I have an idea of what exactly I'm dealing with, I'll write it down and map it out. Um, you know, like what I'm going to eat, what my warm up's going to be, et cetera. Um, for me, writing it down is incredibly important, though, especially, you know, when there's a 4 p.m. race. Um, I think a lot of other athletes will you know, start to feel kind of anxious and, you know, lunchtime will hit and they'll be like, you know what, I, I don't need to eat. It'll be fine. Um, Cause like who's hungry when they have that much nerves going on. Right. Um, but like, you can't do that. You know, you can't just not eat lunch for right. a four o'clock race. Um, and so I found that like, when I write it down, write down what I'm going to eat and when I'm going to do it. Um, when the time comes, and I think to myself, oh, you know what? I'm not that hungry. I look down at what I wrote and I'm like, no, you need to do this. Um, and, and I found that that's worked really well for me. You know what? I like that, that plan because it's, it's basically, it's almost, it's like writing goals and then you mm -hmm. can see it and then you achieve them and check them off. Right. Totally. Now, do you yeah. set goals on a regular basis, like for your season, for the off season? Yeah, that's something that I'll do. Um, well, typically, once a year, I'll have a big goal setting session where I kind of, um, you know, look at what I want to do over the course of the season. Um, and then, you know, every couple of months, I'll kind of come back and revisit what I said and kind of ask myself, like, okay, am I on track to do this? um have I already achieved it do I need to change the goal and make it something bigger um or was that maybe a little bit unrealistic and do I need to you know maybe swerve a little bit um but you know that's where I also think that having process goals is really important um you know the outcome goals are kind of the um you know they're reliant on so many other factors um what other people are doing um you know, weather, course conditions, all that stuff. Um, and so if I can make goals that are, you know, more tied to my process, um, I found that those are much easier to control um, versus like just the outcome ones. Okay. Now, earlier you spoke about speaking engagements. So when you do those, um, when you have those speaking engagements, who is typically your audience? Um, you know, it kind of varies. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm typically speaking to, yeah, just businesses, um, that are looking for just kind of, uh, motivation type speaking. Um, and in that I usually kind of bring in all the lessons that I've learned through sport, um, which include a lot of like principles in sports psychology. 
um, and kind of bring them into the business world uh, because there is so much overlap there. But, you know, most people that are working in corporate America, um, you know, are not super familiar with these concepts that are so familiar to us in sport. So uh, it's been cool because I feel like, yeah, people, people have responded really well to, to some of those principles. Um, and, and I think they found that there's a lot of translation into, into their sector. Have you ever had the opportunity to speak to younger athletes? Yeah, here and there I'll speak to like uh, high school teams. Um, and that's always cool, you know, just being able to kind of share, um, share the journey that I've, I've taken. Um, you know, I've, gosh, learned so much. Um, I think back to when I was in high school, um, and how little I knew then. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of fun to be able to share some of that next generation. Well, in that, what are some things you would tell younger athletes who want to play at the professional level? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of my things, I keep coming back to it, but, um, you know, having fun is so important. And I think a lot of young athletes do get really caught up in um, in the just the performance aspect of things, um, and they kind of forget to to enjoy it along the way. But I've learned that when it comes to longevity in sport, enjoyment is the biggest thing. Um, you know, anyone can have a great season, but to be able to sustain it year after year, um, you know, that's where I think you have to kind of um, just make room for humor and fun. Um, and then with that, uh, as far as longevity goes, um, I think consistency in training is really, for me, the biggest key that I've learned, um, you know, and it's, it's realizing that, you know, you're not going to feel good every day. You're not going to feel motivated every day. And that's okay. Um, you're not supposed to. But when the motivation's not there, the athletes that decide to still show up and put in the work, even when they're not feeling good, um, or not feeling, not, even when they're not feeling their best, um, you know, those are the athletes that are going to succeed in the long term. Um, so, you know, just kind of, yeah, that reminder that, you know, motivation ebbs and flows, but discipline when motivation is not there is, is what really makes a difference. What would you say to those parents who have these younger athletes and they're supporting them? Um, what are some things that you would tell the parents? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that I see is just um, the pressure from parents can sometimes be a lot. Um, you know, even if you might not think that, uh, that you're putting the pressure on, the impact that it has on the kid is, is still there. Um, and I think that, you know, achieving in sport, um, or the motivation in sport, like that really needs to be intrinsic. Um, and it needs to come from, from the athlete. Um, and so I think just kind of like reminding parents to really foster that, that sense of intrinsic motivation in their kids and, um, you know, to maybe, not quite put the pressure on um that yeah well and on that note i think we will leave it at that um last thing though 
where can people find you on social media? I mean, that's if you <laughs> uh, want to become well known. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. So the social media is okay. Um, I am on Instagram as Hailstorm USA. Storm. Yeah, childhood nickname that ended up being a pretty good handle. So. <laughs> <laughs> And do you have like a website or anything that people should check out? Yeah, my website is HaleyDance.com. All right, there it is. You heard it. Thank you for tuning in today. And a special thank you to my guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. To learn about the sports performance, rehab, and wellness services provided by Dr. Tierra, please go to www.thetntfect.com. You can also send questions to info at the TNT effect.com. And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.